Numbers chapter 14 and beginning in verse 1 says, And all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. All the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise Me and how long will they not believe in Me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that He swore to give to them, that He has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you promise, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went. His descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. You know, I remember when I was a kid watching a commercial on TV that's kind of stuck with me. And it was about his father and son walking down this gravel road. They were probably out camping or something like that. And the father reached down and picked up a rock and chucked it out toward the lake. And the little boy reached down and picked up a rock and chucked it out toward the lake. And everything the father did, the son did. And then they come up to this place where they sit down on the ground and they're enjoying the nice day. And the father reaches and pulls out a pack of cigarettes. 
And obviously the, the point that the commercial was making was it was uh, about the health hazards for smoking. you got this little guy following in your footsteps, doing what you do. What kind of an example are you setting? And in fact, we do learn a lot of things by example. We learn a lot of things that are positive things by example. There's many things that I've learned that I've learned a lot just by watching the other people that do those things, that are good at those things, watch how they do it and kind of try to mimic what they do. But you know what we also can learn by negative examples as well. You know, I've talked to people that, that when they were growing up in their family, there was a lot of maybe drinking or drugs within their family experience. And these have been people that have come to not, they won't they want anything to do with that. And it's because they've seen through their family, through their connections, they've seen the negative impacts, the negative results that come from certain things, certain behaviors. And they've said, you know what, I don't really want that to be any part of my life. And so you actually can have a positive result coming out of a negative in their family experience. Well, the reason that I bring that up is because that's exactly what we get within the book of Numbers. The whole point of the book chronicles the time that they lived in the desert. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, that's what it's called. It's, it's, it's called in the desert. <laughs> we call it the book of Numbers because it counts all the people. It chronicles that time period when they're out in the wilderness, they're out in that desert region, and God is, is dwelling among them. But the reason that it gives all these experiences is it says, look at what happened with them. I want it to go better with you. Right, Because just as we just read there, there's going to be a generational difference between coming out of Egypt and going into the Promised Land. And the reason that that generational difference is there is because the people will rebel against God. This is right at the point in the middle of the book of Numbers where God brings them over to the Promised Land. Brings them right to the edge of it. It's only about an 11 day journey from Mount Sinai where they've been with God over to the Promised Land. Well, Israel's going to cram that 11 day journey into 40 years. Because they're going to refuse to go. He's told them that's a land flowing with milk and honey and I'm giving it to you. And they send in some spies. They send in 12 of them. One for each tribe. And they go in and they look at the land and they come back and two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they say the land is just as God said. Man, it it takes two people to carry a cluster of grapes. That place is so awesome. It is truly a, man, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the other ten spies, they see all the same thing and they say, you're right, it is a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's an amazing land. But the inhabitants of the, that land are huge. There's no way that we can survive going up against those guys. We are going to die here. And they start to complain and they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? In fact, at one point, they even refer to Egypt as a land flowing with milk and honey. And they say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to die in Egypt or to die in this wilderness along the way than to be right up here having to face up against that group of people. Let's choose new leaders. And they grumble against Moses and they turn and they walk back. Well, you know what? That is not the only experience like that in their 40 years. In fact, the Bible over and over refers to that 40-year time period as them continually testing God. But when you get to the end of the book... It's a new generation. God said, okay, you said I brought you out here to kill your wife and children. I'll tell you what. Just to prove you wrong, for every, every day that the spies went in to look over the land, which was 40 days, for every day a year, 
you're going to be in the desert for 40 years. And the reason for that is, this generation that won't believe me, that won't trust me, this generation that grumbles and complains against me, is not going into the promised land. You will die in the wilderness. Your children, on the other hand, will go in. There's a big question mark over the book of Numbers. How are the children going to do? Are they going to do any better? Are they going to follow in the the negative example of their parents and continue to rebel against God? Or are they actually going to go into the promised land and inherit the land and be blessed, get a positive out of that negative example? Well, it all boils down to one thing. Their parents refuse to live by faith. Will this new generation live by faith? Every generation has to make that decision. Parents can't make it for their children. Grandparents can't make it for their grandchildren. You can set the best example that you can, but the fact of the matter is is every individual has to choose to live by faith or not. And we're kind of, if you think about it, we're really in kind of a similar situation. Israel was headed toward the promised land. We're headed toward the promised land, the real promised land. But in the meantime, Israel didn't walk in faith. The new generation going into the promised land needs to walk in faith. We need to walk in faith. We need to live by that faith. And the question is, are we going to do it? Well, a lot of Israel's not walking in faith, it was seen in several different ways. It was seen, obviously, in their disobedience because they didn't obey. They didn't go in to take over the promised land. They didn't follow God's decrees. They went against those things and they worshipped other gods. And so there is disobedience that showed their lack of faith. There is also complaining that showed their lack of faith. We see over and over for the nation of Israel throughout the book of Numbers that they're described as grumbling or complaining. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when He heard them, His anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. In chapter 14, verse 2, it says, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Several verses later, it says, How long will this wicked community grumble against Me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. In fact, God gets so sick of it at one point when the Israelites are coming against Moses and Aaron and they're saying, who do you think you are being our leader? You're being a little too bossy for us. We're just as good as you. God says, okay, I'll tell you what. Each of the leader from each of the tribes, put forth your leaders and I'll show you who I'm going to pick. Whoever's staff buds, in other words, a dead old stick, grows new life out of it, that's who's my leader. And so in Numbers chapter 17 and verse 5, it says, "...the staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites." And so you see, God is saying, look, I'm going to do this, and the reason I'm doing it is because I am tired of the complaining. I'm tired of the grumbling. I want them to be quiet. And so He does it. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against Me so that they will not die. You see, God has Aaron's rod bud just to show them that their complaining was wrong. God did not choose them. He chose Aaron. And He's saying, look, now, leave that thing up there for everybody to see because I don't want any more complaining. (laughs) Put an end to it. 
Well, in chapter 14, verse 29, it says, In this desert your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who grumbled against me. So you see how what a problem God has with these people grumbling. Why? Because God is the one that has them in the situation. He's the one that's delivered them out of Egypt. He's the one that's brought them out into this wilderness area. He's the one that's providing for them. So as they grumble and complain, rather than trusting, they're grumbling against Him. They're complaining against Him by complaining about their circumstances. And you know what? That's awful convicting to me at times. In my life, the circumstances that I find myself in and the struggles or the challenges that I have to face, they're there because of God. God knows where I am and He knows what the situations that are gonna, I'm going to have to go through and to deal with. And part of the reason that i am got to go through those things is to see if I'm going to trust or if I'm going to complain. Am I going to live by faith or not? As you see, as I complain about my circumstances, which I do from time to time, I'm really complaining about the one that put me in those circumstances or let, allowed me to be in those circumstances. I'm showing a lack of faith at that point, rather than looking for the, the lessons that I can learn, or rather than leaning on Him to draw the strength that I need to go through that circumstance or that situation. We need to be careful with our complaining. We need to walk by faith, contrary to their example. You know, when we look through the book of Numbers, what do we see? We see lapse of faith. They, they fail God. They rebel against God. And you know what we also see? We see judgment. We see judgment when they're brought into punishment for their different sins at times that they face judgment because of their rebellions. And it didn't bring them any good. It didn't get them into the promised land. In fact, it kept them out of the promised land. It didn't get them to do anything valuable to them. So why would we follow in their steps? That's exactly the point he's trying to bring these people that are about to go into the promised land to where they recognize, look, the way it's been done for the last 40 years has not been successful. Let's trust God as we go into the promised land. We see two key components for living by faith. One of them is God's sovereignty. In the midst of the book of Numbers, in the midst of all of the Israelites testing God and trying God's patience for 40 years, we see a determination on God's part to bless the nation of Israel even though though they've not been a shining example of faithfulness. He's going to wait and bless the, the children that come after them but he's determined to bless Israel. Notice in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And so in the midst of Israel's rebelling against God and everything, God says, Aaron, this is what I want you to do. Continually pronounce this blessing upon Israel. God blessing them and keeping them and making His face to shine upon them. God was determined that blessing would be the final outcome for the nation of Israel. You know, we also see this interesting character in the book of Numbers named Balaam. We found a lot of archaeological evidence about Balaam. It turns out that he was a pagan prophet and he was known internationally. Kings and people in different places would, would listen to his prophecy or have him prophesy something. And that's what happens. Israel's enemies and their leader, Balak, 
wanted to get an upper hand on Israel. They saw Israel wandering around the wilderness and they were afraid of them. They said, look at these people. It's a consuming number of people out in my area. And they get a little too close to us for our comfort. And so they went to Balaam and he said, Balak wants you to come and curse his enemy. And Balaam says, can't do it. I can only say what God tells me to say about those people. And so even if he gave me all of his kingdom, I couldn't do it. Well, Balak doesn't give up. Balaam wants to do it because Balak's going to pay him a lot of money. But whenever he opens his mouth, the words of God come out of his mouth instead of his own. And so it doesn't work. And so anyway, what happens is Balak takes Balaam up on top of a high place because in pagan forms of worship, high places are important. They're powerful. So he takes Balaam up on top of a high place where he can overlook the the people of Israel. And he says, now curse my enemies. Balaam uh, took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak has brought me. The king of Moab from the eastern mountains, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And so Balaam gets up there to curse Israel. And he looks down over the Israel and he says, I hope my life and my death ends up like theirs because they are going to be blessed by God. And he pronounces this blessing over Israel. So Balak gets furious. He's mad. He says, I'm paying you good money to do this and you, you're, you're blowing it. Um, must be the mountain, right? Let's move to a different mountain. So they move to a different high place. Tells him to do it again. And this is what he says this time. He says, And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command, a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. Nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold a people as a lioness. It rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. God's not like you. He's not going to change His mind. He has blessed Israel, and now He's going to bless them again. So every time Balak calls upon Balaam to condemn Israel, God is determined to bless Israel, and He does just that. He does it again. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes and the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters." His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, 
and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. And then in his last discourse, he said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. And so you see, it even points all the way forward to Christ as he's prophesying over Israel. Every time Balak brings Balaam to another mountain, to another mountain to try to curse God's people, God is determined. He is sovereignly in charge of the blessing and He is determined to bless His people. You know what? I love it when I read the same thing about me. And there's a day when I chose to put my faith in Christ. But the Bible tells me of another day when there was a choice that was made and it wasn't my choice. It was God's choice. Ephesians tells us that we were chosen in Him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world. You know, that's an awesome thing. We get to experience the blessing of God, not so much because we chose Him, but because He chose us. Because He's sovereignly in control of that. And and just as He chose Israel to be His people that He was going to bless, and He was determined to bless them, He has chosen us in Christ and is determined to bless us in that same way. Wow, that is just an amazing thought. But you know what? Also with that thought, there is a responsibility. Because we see within this passage not only the sovereignty of God, but the responsibility of the people Israel is held responsible. They refuse to step up and trust God and go into the promised land so they don't get a go. But the new generation will. And you know what happens with Israel in that time in the desert? Even though Balaam couldn't pronounce a curse on Israel, he did the next best thing. Balak finally said to Balaam, this God who you keep saying keeps making you blessed instead of cursed, He has cost you what I'm gonna, I was going to pay you. I was going to pay you a huge honorarium. Now you're not going to get it because you won't say what I want you to say. Balaam says, let me tell you a way that you can get the same result. But you've got to go about it a different way. But what happens is if we look at Numbers chapter 25, which is just we were just reading from Numbers chapters 23 and 24. You know, if you turn to Numbers chapter 25 in the first three verses, it says, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself with Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Numbers chapter 31. It says, Behold these. Now this, what this is talking about is when God leads Israel into battle and they go up against their enemies, and they were supposed to destroy everyone, and they didn't do it. And God comes back and He says, why, why are all the women still alive? And this is His reason. Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Now let's look at one more passage and then we'll summarize it all. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, when he's writing to the church at Pergamum, He says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. 
what we can gather from these verses is that Balaam was supposed to curse the children of Israel for Balak. He couldn't do it, but he wanted the money. He points out that in other passages in the New Testament and Old. So he told Balak, let me tell you how you can get what you want. You just have to go about it a different way. God's not going to come down and curse His people. But if you befriend His people, if you go in among His people, and you send your daughters to their sons, and you get them involved in immoral relationships, and so that they're breaking their commandments that God has given them, and you invite them to your feasts and your festivals, they'll end up worshiping your gods, and then God will curse those people. And Balak followed that advice. Rather than trying to just tear down Israel from the outside, he tried to tear them down from the inside. You know, it's the same kind of things that we talk about with our country all the time because every empire that we see down through the ages ends up destroyed not from the outside, but from the inside. And we're always worried about that with our country because we started off with good groundings. We had a solid moral basis because we had a solid faith underneath that moral basis, which was Christianity. And the more secular we become, the more that base crumbles within our society at large, then the tower comes crumbling with it. This is exactly what Balaam knows. And that's exactly why when we get into the New Testament, the New Testament looks back at this time and says, don't follow their example. Look at what happened to them. I think of uh, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they, as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Remember, we read about that back in Exodus chapter 32. He says we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We find that experience in Numbers chapter 25 in the first nine verses. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. That also is found in Numbers chapter 21. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So God just keeps looking back. And this is in the New Testament now. He keeps looking back at that time in the desert, in the book of Numbers. And He says, look at what they did. They rebelled against God and they were judged. They suffered for it. They rebelled against God and they suffered for it. They refused to believe and follow and they suffered for it. He's saying, don't let that happen to you. Because otherwise, we can be sucked right into the system of the world. We can get sucked right into the morality of the world. We can get sucked right away from our relationship in God. And that's what He doesn't want for the nation of Israel. That's what He didn't want for the Corinthian church. And that's what He doesn't want for us. He wants us to live by faith. The things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He is challenging that generation. He's saying, look back, the last 40 years you've spent in the wilderness, remember it should have been 11 days. It's an 11 day journey from there to the promised land. 
is 40 years in the wilderness with a lot of failure and judgment because they didn't believe. They didn't trust. And now the challenge is before them. Their opportunity, their life is before them. And he's saying, what are you going to do? Jericho's still on the other side. The people are still on the other side. So is all the land flowing with milk and honey. What are you going to do? It's the same challenge that's offered up to us. Sometimes in our life there's struggles, there's hardships, things that we've got to overcome. Sometimes there's even times where we say, where is God in this? Or sometimes we're just being deceived by sin and kind of, you know, kind of veering off on a side trail and God puts up a barrier and says, remember what I feel about that. Remember how I think about that. But the question is this. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow that negative example of those old Israelites and, and persist in your sin and your unbelief to your own detriment and your own judgment? Or are you going to live by faith? Stand with God. Be a person of courage and moral integrity and live by faith.